can definitely be more so like you talking because it'll be more interview style. I'll like maybe throw a bunch of questions at you. And like the goal of the podcast is to get to really know people. Mm, okay. We invite guests to actually learn more about them. But <laughs> yes. Okay. So this is so funny. I know. It's like more official. I'm like, I feel so. Um... <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you if. You, you know, you can just introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Eugene. I've been, I came to Christ Central in the fall of 2013. Um, so it's really unbelievable for Coming me. Coming on 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable to me that um, time has flown so fast. Um, currently, I work at a firm. It's called a fintech firm. Um, well, that's not the name. Oh, it's, the type, <laughs> it's a type of company. I work, at a, I work at a fintech firm in Roslyn. Mm. Um, so for those who don't know, fintech is a company that where it's half financial services and half technology. So our clients are banks or financial institutions in the country. And then half of our company supports the IT side. And then half of the company supports the quote unquote financial services side. Um, so I, currently we are working from home, um, but normally I used to commute to Roslyn every day. Welcome to the podcast. It's currently untitled. Uh, <laughs> it's, I think we're, yeah, we'll see what the name is, but welcome to Jean. We're glad to have you. <laughs> I know it's it's probably different because it feels more formal, but sure. it's not, it's it's chill. We're just well, talking. to make it formal, I'll say thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> I feel like I haven't seen you in so long. In like two years probably. I know. I like, always see you like from afar or something like that. Yeah. Like, Cause you know we were like a women's like Bible study long together. time ago. Yeah, and I I really enjoyed that. I feel like we bonded a lot through that, and we yeah. that specific women's group had like really good time too. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure it's been like a while now, but I do miss that women's ministry year. I'm actually on the women's committee this year, but the focus of women's ministry this year has shifted a little bit from Bible study to more kind of allowing people to socialize and kind of reconnect because we're coming out of a pandemic. Yeah. Um. But I you know but I did share with the committee that you know I really miss um kind of the women's Bible study that we had. Um. Um, only because, you know, it was so we were consistent. I think the same group of people were together for a while. So it was like really nice to just kind of have that community and have that fellowship with. So in for women's ministry, like you went to the retreat recently. Right? Yes. So we went to Claggett like we normally do. Um, so the theme this year was reconnecting again, kind of going with the same theme of, you know, people have been isolated. People have been um, going through a tough time through the pandemic. And so we use this retreat in order for like to allow ladies to kind of connect and to um, just to have fellowship and just have a have a good time with with each other. We had about sixty ladies on the oh, roster. Oh, wow, that's a that's a good number, honestly. Mm -hmm. Do you think did it feel awkward at all, like kind of like seeing a lot of ladies again, or did it just feel like kind of going back to normal? So for me, actually, I was very intrigued that um I've been here since 2013, so I've been here almost 10 years now, and so for me, I was a little bit shocked that um. There was a lot of people that I didn't recognize. And so for me, I, I it just kind of speaks to our church uh, that's continued to grow and also continue to have newcomers. I mean, obviously, I have no other people that have been here for a while with me. But then also, I was very surprised in a good way that I didn't recognize a lot of people. And, and it was just nice to kind of see, oh, OK, there's still kind of new people that are getting plugged in and that are um, being part of our church. So were a lot of the new people like much younger or like different ages? That's a great question. Honestly, I thought that it was a really good mix. I thought that there was some people that maybe were a little bit younger than me um and then also people my age and then also people who were um i hate to say the older generation but people who were <laughs> more experienced yes more experienced yes mm -hmm. what was um like your favorite part of the retreat as a whole um so actually on the committee when we were planning for the retreat i had suggested to the committee that when i first came to ccpc um 
we had a very small Bridges retreat because Bridges at that time was about 25 people, extremely small compared <laughs> to what Bridges is now. Um, and at that retreat, um, we did this thing called a cardboard testimony. Mm. And Pastor Albert um, is the one that suggested this at this very small, intimate retreat. And what the cardboard testimony is, is that um, each person who's at the retreat, you know, you get you are given some time to reflect and to sit. And to talk about um, on one side of the cardboard, you write kind of what has been something that's been really, you know, weighing on your heart or something that's been very um, a struggle or something kind of a hurt in your life. And then on the other side of the cardboard, as part of your testimony, you write how God has um, redeemed that or how God has made that beautiful. And so in that very small Bridges retreat years ago, we we pr- we had that cardboard testimony and it was very just um it was organic. It was very, um, very moving and just very kind of it allowed everybody at that retreat to feel very, very close to each other. So I had suggested that while we were planning the women's retreat. I mean, it's been a tough two and a half years. I said, why don't we just give people a space to kind of reflect and try out the cardboard testimony with this kind of group? Um, and so I think that a lot of people as, you know, kind of just talking to people who were at the retreat, a lot of people said that they were blessed by that cardboard testimony at the mm. women's retreat. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like it's always it just starts out as like writing stuff on right. the board a cardboard right. but right. it always ends up being like such a blessing mm-hmm. um one question i have for you and that we typically like to ask our guests is is there any view or perspective or maybe idiosyncratic like weird habit that you have or yeah just like a perspective you have so we actually talked about this as i was coming into the studio um, so I am one of those people who carbonated water, I believe, is, and I've had, and have, and I'm only chuckling because I've, I've had many, many arguments with people who deem to be carbonated water experts. So, for example, I will say a line like, "I don't understand why people drink carbonated water. It's just water that's car- like that has you know carbonation in it, and it tastes like water." And I'll have so many friends go down the list of carbonated water brands, such as I've heard Waterloo is great, uh, like Perrier. You know, there's multiple brands that are now doing carbonated water. And I've every single friend tries to push it on me that like if you try (laughs) this brand or this flavor, you will taste the orange or the peach or the pomegranate or. But for me, I I will literally die on the hill that carbonated water is just water that has carbonation and there is no flavor. You might have a scent of the flavor that the can seems to you know argue that it has right and it has all these amazing flavors on the outside but i will die on the hill that carbonated water is just carbonated water so essentially instead of paying you know like five bucks for a pack of 40 water bottles you're paying you know eight bucks for eight cans of (laughs) of carbonated water just to convince yourself that it does have flavor but it doesn't Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. We we did speak of this right before we began. <laughs> um, it's funny because I have a carbonated water and I used to hate carbonated water, but I think the flavored ones like ones taste good. But sure. if it's just like the plain one, that's like water, it's like kind of nasty to me. I mean, I, I, I have heard that for sort of like chronic soda drinkers, I heard that it is a great replacement. And, mm. and so I do know that there is. I guess there is value or validity in in some of the things that people say about carbonated water, but I will still stand by my point that carbonated water is just water with carbonation. (laughs) That's a pretty good hot take. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, that will definitely bubble up. Anger some people. Yeah, Yeah, bubble up some people's. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, bad pun. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you kind of mentioning like with like just, you know, pandemic. Is there any place um, like your favorite place that you visited or 
a place that you want to visit? Uh, my close friends will not be surprised when I say that the number one place that I, I would love to visit or maybe even live one day, which is very dramatic, um, is probably Norway. And so it's funny because for a lot of people who don't know about Norway, they're like, where is Norway? So I like to joke that, you know, it's the um, it's the country that looks like kind of three fingers. It's next to Denmark and Sweden um, and Europe. And then also a lot of people don't, you know, Norway is known for their fjords and kind of the, you know, the beautiful like ocean. And it's a peninsula, essentially. Right. Well, kind of a peninsula. But for me, I um, actually do not like to be hot and I love the extreme cold. So Norway attracts me for a couple of reasons. So. If you look at the pictures from Norway, especially northern Norway, it's just a winter wonderland. Yes, there might not be sun all year, kind of like Antarctica or Alaska, but um, the winter wonderland and you can see the northern lights anytime you want. Um, And the the best thing is that, you know, you're just never hot. And so for me, (laughs) I think Norway has always been kind of my, I guess, quote unquote, bucket list or dream country where if I had, you know, if I had the luxury or the privilege to live in Norway for a long time, like I would literally like to go from south all the way up to north. And um, there are some roads that are that do connect all the way from south to north. So some people do make that trek, which is obviously, a, you know, a very, very long trek. Um, but apparently Norway is just very breathtaking, kind of like Switzerland, where every place that you look is kind of like a postcard. Um, and then you have the added benefit that, again, um, it is very cold. And so Norway seems to be kind of my bucket list destination. Huh. That's like, it, it is kind of random because it's, mm-hmm. there are a lot of other countries that yes. are cold <laughs> and a lot of other countries that are like, you know, similarly beautiful, like Switzerland. So, okay, fine. So in the same nature, I would love to, I would love to visit Colorado. Um, mm. I would love to visit kind of Vermont or New Hampshire um, when it's very cold in the winter, maybe. And, or same thing with like, you know, Banff is a hot take, any kind of places in Canada. Um, but yes, I, I really like snow and cold and ice and so any country that isn't hot and humid is going to be on my kind of wish list or bucket list no okay that's yeah norway that's so random it is random i love Um, that (laughs) but if everybody if anybody asks me i always say norway did like a movie like trigger it like norway specifically or you just saw the map you're like that country looks cool i think what happened was that one day i kind of went down the youtube rabbit hole of northern lights or kind of seeing seeing the northern lights and then once I went down that rabbit hole and then you go on Instagram and you kind of see where and then you start researching, like, where do you see the northern lights? Like, where is it the easiest to see the northern lights? And then everybody was like, oh, you have to go to Norway, 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 Norway. And I think that's kind of what initiated my interest in the country. And then the more I started kind of Googling and researching. I mean, nowadays, I think that everybody would agree that some of those videos on YouTube or Instagram is like 4K. So sometimes I feel like you don't even need to be there because <laughs> it's better you're kind of video. seeing. I mean, really just how breathtaking like all these places are. Um, but I still believe that obviously there's going to be a different experience when you're actually there. Um, but I highly recommend, um, you know, anybody who's listening, if you do really want to see kind of just really like phenomenal, just landscape, like I'd really recommend looking up, um, like certain cities in Norway, like Northern or Southern or, you know, the whole country just is very picturesque. Wow. I really want to go now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a big fan of cold, but it does sound pretty, pretty awesome. (laughs) Um, Speaking of YouTube rabbit holes, Mm -hmm. do you have any other like rabbit holes you've been getting into (laughs) TV shows? I know you mentioned earlier that you like TV shows. So since um, since May is Asian American Pacific Islander month, I think I think that's what the acronym is. If I'm (laughs) I I might be incorrect. I might be incorrect. But um, since May is kind of Asian Heritage Month, um, I can kind of touch upon different things that are maybe like Asian 
focused and kind of the realm of like media. So I lived in Korea for um, elementary school and middle school. Um, but then after middle school, I went to a predominantly Caucasian high school. Mm. And then in college, I didn't really have a lot of Korean friends. And so when I was in Korea, I had obviously K-pop was nowhere near the the um, kind of insane popularity that it has now. But when I lived in Korea, obviously you like K-pop because that's the country's music. Um, but after high school and college, I actually really didn't follow. I wasn't aware. I just didn't have any kind of idea about K-pop. And then 2015, I remember very, very specifically that. Uh -oh. um, I think I know. <laughs> so 2015, I don't know kind of what, I don't really know what triggered kind of my, like, or to kind of reinvigorated my interest in K-pop. But one day I came across dance practice videos on YouTube. Um, and again, YouTube is just, you know, it has that algorithm in a sense that you start watching one dance practice and then it suggests all of these, you know, artists that have dance practice videos. So 2015 is when I was introduced to BTS. And so for, <laughs> so for me, as somebody who for a while didn't really follow K-pop, I was very actually surprised that I was able to kind of, I guess, rekindle that mm. passion that I had for K-pop. Um, and so once I started watching BTS, and I would like to throw out there that I was the original BTS fan at Christ Central <laughs> because I knew them before they got famous. But um, so BTS kind of started again, like my second chapter or second era of K-pop. Um, and now I'm to the point where, and my friends know this, um, I, I check the K-pop subreddit on Reddit every <laughs> single day. Um, that's where I get my latest kind of K-pop news. Um, and I also just really enjoy... Um, and actually very proud of um, just how much K-pop has expanded and how much K-pop has exploded, not only obviously in our country, but literally across um, in the entire world. And so um, for me, I think K-pop has just really, you know, as somebody who speaks Korean and who's proud of being Korean, I think K-pop has really just, again, um, it's just, it's very corny to say, <laughs> um, but I'm, you know, I'm just very happy that other people are kind of acknowledging and also understanding just like the effort, the talent um, and just the influence that Korea has. Obviously, it's not just K-pop, it's Korean dramas and, you know, all fashion as well. Um, just how much influence um, this small country of 40 million has um, across the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm also like proud to be an Asian American. And I know like you mentioned BTS. There's definitely a lot of different groups that are like, like, as you said, like kind of bringing Asian Americans to light and just even Asian culture and making it more like pronounced and like we're getting like a lot more not only tension representation but, like, yeah representation on the screen and I think when I was younger I'd be like oh Asian and I still kind of do that now but much less because it's like there's just more representation as you said um yeah going back to BTS okay um I'm wearing my shirt that I bought nice. uh, merch from because uh, I went to the BTS concert. So, so I'm talking to a true fan. Yes. Uh, well, I'm a recent fan. Okay. I, I actually, I have to admit, I remember like, yeah, you were definitely like an OG mm -hmm. CCPC army. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a thing. I don't think that should be a thing. But I knew you were like an OG fan. And I was always like, eh, BTS, whatever. And until the pandemic, I was like, Whatever. And then I think I it started from a YouTube rabbit hole. Mm. It was just like, oh, let me just see what they're like. Let me watch a few music videos. Right. And then it went into devolved into watching their like variety show run BTS. And I was like, oh, they're actually really funny. Like they have personalities. <laughs> and so that was I I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> just on a more serious note, like where like would you hope to see even more like AAPI representation like in the future? Like 
do you imagine just like us, like as AAPIs? I don't know if that's a thing, but just being more part of like society everywhere. Like what is kind of your vision for that? So this reminds me of a, com- a very interesting conversation that I had with my coworker. Um, and I'm sure, uh, you know, I mean, my, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion or this might be a controversial opinion, but my coworker was actually talking about Shang-Chi um, as the first Marvel character um, being released. Right. And my coworker, who's non-Asian, you know, I remember um, him reaching out to me and saying that, oh, I'm going to go see it. I'm so excited. Um, the, you know, the trailer looks really, really good. Like, you know, have you seen it? How do you feel about it? And I remember telling my coworker that, you know, I, I told him that I kind of feel mixed about it. And so he was a little bit surprised. He, you know, he asked me, oh, like, why, why are you feeling? Why do you have mixed feelings about hmm. it? This is amazing. This is great. Um, I told my coworker that while having a obviously the superhero um, first superhero who is a an Asian character obviously does absolutely push boundaries when it comes to representation or kind of actually having somebody on screen that, you know, even us or younger people, older people can relate to and especially culturally that we can relate to. But there's a part of me that joked with my coworker that it just seems that especially currently still in Hollywood, when Asian, anything Asian is represented, it's really tied to kind of martial arts or kind of that historical theme of which, you know, Bruce Lee, you know, Jet Li, Jackie Chan have all made very, very famous of kind of focusing in on the martial arts and kind of the fighting aspect or the action aspect. Um, and so my coworker, um, he looked at me and he was like, well, you sound kind of jaded and bitter. And I said, and I, and I, you know, I laughed and I joked with him that, you know, absolutely progress is progress and any kind of step forward is a step forward. But I, you know, I just told my coworker that I think really kind of breakthrough or progress will be when you can see an Asian actor on the screen and it has nothing to do with martial arts. And, you know, it's an Asian character that is doing normal things or maybe even certain things that normally people would not even associate with an Asian character, whether it's a show, a movie or a book. And so I think my coworker, you know, I mean, we have a very close relationship. So he was just kind of like looking at me and joking and he's just seeing, you know, basically saying that, oh, don't be a Debbie Downer. Like, this is a great, a great moment for Asian Americans in the country, especially and all around the world. And I said, of course, I'm going to go see it. And I watched the movie and it was phenomenal. And so I did joke with him that, you know, I'm kind of being half joking or half serious. But when he asked me that, I did kind of honestly answer that. I, I you know, I think that for us, maybe in 10, 20 years, you know, we will see a lot of kind of Asian movies or books or TV shows where it's not always kind of associated with like, you know, a martial arts film mm. or an action Some film. Tropes, yeah. yeah, something that's very different or unique, because I think that we are living in a world where there's a lot of stories that can be told by very different people. And it doesn't always have to kind of follow the same storyline that we're always kind of used to seeing when it comes to Asian people on screen. I, I hope that maybe, you know, your to your original question, I hope that maybe in the future, yes, we will see a ton of opportunities for Asian um, actors or characters where it's not kind of something that people are always used to seeing Asian characters do. It's it's definitely tough, especially if that's like such a common thing in media. It's just like, oh, like this is a Kung Fu movie. Let's mm-hmm. put like, right, like someone who's like Bruce Lee on it or right. whatever. Not not to take away, obviously, from the cultural and the historical importance of, yeah. of what Kung Fu and what all these martial arts things have, you know, the significance of it in our Asian cultures. Um, but I think that you know, Hollywood has a lot of money, you know, and I think Marvel has a ton of money. Warner Brothers has a ton of money. You know, 20th century has a lot of money. I, I think just running out of ideas. though. <laughs> I think, right. I think that people can kind of gather people in the room and just kind of say, hey, what you know, what can we do that's kind of groundbreaking or different than what's been done before um, and have and really push for that representation that Asian people kind of deserve and we would love to see on the screen. Yeah. For for you, like personally, like in terms of being like an Asian American and like 
like you said, you grew up in Korea and then you came back mm -hmm. and then you were in a more um, like Americanized setting where you didn't really interact with K-pop and stuff. Have you, what are some challenges you face like as an Asian American? That's a broad question, but like, is there, I guess, even just like thematically, what are some like challenges you've had to face like being an Asian American? So I would consider myself one point. So a lot of people say, you know, are you first gen or second gen? I would consider myself 1.5. And I think anybody who kind of has a half and half experience. So for me, um, you know, living in Korea and then also kind of half of my life living in Korea and then half of my life living here. I think I think with anybody, you know, the question of kind of identity. Um, I, my parents will tell anybody that when I was a very, very, very young kid, apparently I was extremely proud to be an American um, and I would walk around with my American passport and kind of you know, really just be so happy and proud that I was an American citizen. Um, and I'm sure that, and I, and I hope that a lot of people who are listening haven't experienced this, but as a minority in the United States, there are going to be moments in your life where you experience somebody else acting like you are not an American or automatically assuming that you are not because of the color of your skin. And so for me, I had an experience um, in high school where I was flying, you know, back and forth between Korea um, because I went to boarding school and, you know, I just remember even at that age, being a teenager, I remember feeling kind of a sense of difference in the way of being treated, even though for me, when I was coming to the States, I was coming home. Um, but feeling kind of like certain people would maybe not for some reason, one reason or another, not look at me and automatically assume that, hey, she's an American. They would just look at me as a as a non-American. So. I think anybody who kind of has that dual life where we have both cultures in us, where we're proud of both, you know, both cultures and we're very um, aware of both and we live both. I think it's sometimes difficult for us to kind of really understand um, where we where we feel more kind of comfortable or where we feel more like we belong. But not only that, to add another question of like not just where I feel like I belong, but where is everybody who I come in contact with? Where do they think that I belong? And that can apply at work. It can apply with your friendships, your relationships, you know, even with your family. I think for me, it's been tough to kind of reconcile both, reconcile both of feeling proud that I'm Korean, that, I, that I've lived in Korea, that I have Korean heritage, um, but then also kind of that inner girl wanting to be acknowledged and wanting to be recognizes I am an American. I'm a Korean American, but I'm a proud American. And I think that kind of, even as an adult, I think sometimes you have to navigate that and you have to kind of understand and really kind of consciously talk to yourself about how not only is it how you view yourself, but how is everybody else treating you and how is everybody else viewing you as well? Yeah, you mentioned boarding school and I was like, that sounds tough. <laughs> that sounds like like a very unconventional experience. I, like not many people go through that. Like, how was how was that for you? Uh, so boarding school has its rep. Um, there's a there's a there was a famous book actually. I think a couple years before I went to boarding school that was released. It was called Prep. A lot of people read that book, and it's a fictional story, I believe. But it was it became very popular because it was talking about boarding school life, and so a lot of people have kind of certain preconceptions or assumptions of what boarding school is. Yes, are there certain boarding schools in New England that are, you know, filled with ex-presidents and rich CEOs, kids, and, you know, maybe there's some partying and hardcore drug use going on? Yes, I think that some of the stereotypes do come from from truth. But from my boarding school, um, my boarding school is a very quaint, um, beautiful boarding school in Delaware. Um, it's called St. Andrews. And it actually sits on about 2,000 acres of land, and half of that is um, a lake. And so we actually have a rowing team, a crew team as well. But 
if I had to kind of give a shout out to my high school or for people to kind of recognize like how beautiful my high school is um for anybody who's seen the movie dead poet society oh yeah. um my high school is the background of that film what and where that oh, i just was, got chills Whoa. and where that was filmed so the my captain my captain you know those are actual classrooms that are still being used today um and so now the cave in the movie we do not have an actual cave i think that was filmed <laughs> Dang it. in a separate place but um Probably so for the better <laughs> so if anybody asks me like oh hey like you know any kind of cool tidbits about my high school i like to mention that yes dead poet society was filmed there uh, boarding school for me was very interesting again kind of touching back on the cultural differences or kind of um the korean american thing so i was in korea before i flew to my boarding school um and I'm, i was considered an international student because obviously i was living in korea and then i was coming over for boarding school um culture shock was very intense and i had to you know I, as anybody kind of being thrown into a new environment you know going from living in korea to going to a, a school that's 92% Caucasian um, and also kind of at that young age, like kind of navigating and understanding the culture um, and just how people act. But overall, I cannot um, say enough praises about my high school. Mm. Um, I really, I joke with my headmaster that if people can afford it, I would really, really recommend um, that people can send their kids. <laughs> but as you can imagine, boarding school is, you know, it comes with a very hefty price tag. And so, but I do not, um, I, if people had just asked me like, you know, how would you summarize boarding school in a sentence? I would say, imagine going to school with your best friends and being at like a camp and seeing them all the time oh. for four years. I mean, it's a, so it's a great experience. So again, if you can afford it, I highly recommend you consider it. And actually, let me kind of take that back. So in my, by me saying that it's expensive, some may assume that, oh, you know, she must come from a rich family. Um, my high school actually um, is I, another reason why I love my high school is that applications are, you know, they're not merit based. They're actually need based. So mm. financial aid is extremely huge at my high school. I um, mean, they will look at your application and, you know, determine what is the need and not merit based. And so um, obviously I could never have gone to my high school without financial aid. And so um, I think that that program is also great and just speaks to the alumni of the school and how much they give back to my high school. Wow. I feel like your boarding school experience is, I mean, I don't know what I thought of it. It, it just sounds like it was more ideal than not. So that's, I think that's really good. That I'm you, sure, I'm sure everyone's boarding experience, boarding school experience ranges, but um, I'm yeah. very thankful for mine. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. Um, do you think you're since then, like, or just, I guess, when you're in like high school or even college, like, do you think your personality has changed a lot or has it been mostly the same since then? Obviously, I haven't lived 75 years um, and I don't have <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. have a wealth of 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 knowledge under my um, under my belt. But I think that generally kind of everybody has like that inner child that stays the same. Um, and then as you kind of grow and you mature, you know, some of the things might change. But I think the inner girl is still is still there. Um, I think if you look at who I was in high school or college, even post-college until now, I think the same kind of um, personality traits are the same things that I struggle with or that I'm I'm good at. I think those have all remained, um, but I've just kind of, quote unquote, I guess, hmm. grown up and become an adult. But um, I, I have I've, I firmly believe that people are always like kids at heart. And so I think on the outside, yes, I'm an adult that has a nine to five who pays bills and who, <laughs> and who has, quote unquote, adult responsibilities. But I think um, when I look back at kind of you know, high school and college, I think that I'm still the same person, um, kind of like still learning and growing. What would you say is then like one of the seasons of life where you just kind of struggle the most? 
for me, um, you know, since we are talking um, on the Christ Central podcast, um, one of my biggest idols is actually um, career. And so I think a lot of Koreans and maybe even a lot of Asians, you know, they struggle with the same kind of idolatry of really tying your worth to kind of where you work or how much you make or what your title is. And so for me, um, you know, being an only child, um, having a lot of pressures growing up, I think that kind of that the career success and the kind of the the other things that come with, you know, having a great career, I think has always been a root idol that causes a lot of the issues that I have. Um, so for me, in terms of if you said what is kind of the most difficult season, I think anything after graduating college has been tough for me because we live in a world where it's kind of shown like it's shown that like people kind of know what they want or know what they're good at are the ones that succeed. And people who are kind of slower to understand or slower to know what they want, they're kind of lost and they're quote unquote behind. And so for somebody who really struggled with kind of finding my um, stride and finding like my job, especially kind of like the quote unquote big girl job after college, I think career has always been a struggling point for me. Um, in 2018, I was unemployed. Um, so I was laid off from a job any layoff would shock people. But I think for me, it's just, it's kind of when you're already struggling with kind of your career identity and kind of who you are as a person tied to your career. When you get laid off, there's another layer that comes with, you know, feelings of kind of failure or feelings of just not living up to expectations. The unemployment period was long and it was tough. Um, but I will say, and I hate that um, I'm going to sound kind of like every cloud has a silver lining or every negative experience has a learning experience. But one thing that unemployment taught me was uh, well, there's two things. Number one, I never recommend people quitting that job if you have nothing lined up, unless you are absolutely okay with dealing with those consequences and you're financially stable. Um, you know, there's certain times where you have to quit and that's, and you know, that's what you have to do. But the second thing that I really kind of want to tell people about unemployment is that it is terrifying. It is, it is not easy mentally, um, especially emotionally. But you learn a lot about yourself during unemployment. And I think that while the unemployment period was long, I hate to sound cliche, but it was such a good learning experience for me because you start to understand and learn, okay, if I didn't have a nine to five, if I didn't have a steady paycheck, what would I be doing and how would I be trying to figure out my life? Um, I was able to be lucky enough where I could work at a yoga studio part time. I was able to attend classes for free and, you know, kind of get plugged into the community that I live in, meet new people and just have a really great experience learning yoga as well. Um, and actually the job that I have now, the way that I was able to get it was actually through a student who was um, at that yoga studio. And so I think some people, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that unemployment is easy or that it's or that it's or, you know, you should just try it to see how much you grow. But I think for me, I was very surprised. Obviously, hindsight's 2020 later. I was surprised just how much I kind of, I guess, gleaned or learned from that experience. Um, but career is still something that I struggle with. Um, I hate to sound very predictable and talk about how, you know, Nova is a very different, you know, some people call the Nova bubble or some people kind of talk about how like we are in an area close to D.C. where salaries are very high. People are very, um, you know, driven and people are very career focused. And so um, living in this kind of area, it's hard not to compare. It's hard not to um, feel like you're just not, you know, making those kind of steps that other people are making. But, you know, one day I'm going to quit my job and live out of a van and travel with my husky or my cat. So that is kind of the end goal. So until I reach that threshold, in Norway. <laughs> right in Norway. So until I reach that threshold, I think, um, you know, the kind of the day to day nine to five grind, like it's not it's not easy, um, but I'm trying, you know, I'm trying very hard to stay positive about it. 
um do you was there anyone or like a community that like helped you kind of like through this process or even just like spiritually it just i'm sure it was tough like maybe maybe it wasn't like spiritually but i i can imagine that it was probably a little bit tough so you know if any of my close friends listen to this podcast i think that they will they will kind of know all the answers to these questions but so christ central for me um is the first time where i had i've had close friends be christians um so i kind of mentioned that i've been a churchgoer all my life i've been i've been baptized when i was a baby and i was confirmed when i was in high school um so i've been a churchgoer all my life but i think through high school through college and post-college you know i was regularly attending church but i did not have close friends um that were believers who went to church and who actually you know like lived in kind of the christian community and so when i came to christ central it sounds very I'm sure for people who've kind of lived in Christian communities for a very long time, it'd be kind of shocking to them to hear this. But it, I was just so floored or kind of every experience was new to me when you have close friends that are praying for you, that are um, just really like that, quote unquote, doing life with you. And so during the tough times or any kind of time where I'm having a difficulty, especially with um, anything, it's just it's amazing to have friends that will genuinely pray for you and genuinely be there for you and so christ central in the 10 years that i've been here obviously you know there's been changes as as there's always been changes but i think one you know phenomenal thing and it sounds like i'm kind of talking about christ central really well because i'm on a christ central (laughs) podcast but i think one of the things that christ central is just very special and does extremely well is that you know it's hard to be in a community where everybody just seems so genuine and just very caring you know because a lot of times yeah you're gonna have fake people you're gonna have people with ulterior motives but in the last 10 years that i've been here i think the community is just so every single time somebody's going through something difficult it's amazing to see the community rally around that person whether that's like you know in cg in a small manner whether that's in as church and large but especially with the multi-generational groups um I mean, what kind of, you know, what kind of church will have a place where you can be kind of close friends with someone who's 24 years older than you and then somebody who's, you know, seven, like 17 years younger than you as well. So I think for me, I, I, this is not something that I'm saying, especially because I'm on a Christ Central podcast, but I think I would not have gone through a lot of the things that I've gone through without the community that I have here. And whether that's through CG or whether that's through friends that I've met at Christ Central, going from not having close friends that are Christians to having a lot of friends that are Christian, it's a very different experience um, and a very, you know, it's just been a very eye-opening, very humbling um, and a very like thankful experience overall. I can definitely attest that Christ Central is just like such an awesome community. And though our church is not perfect, there's a lot of people that are like trying to really support each other and love each other. And yeah, everyone's very genuine. There's no one who's like super fake. And I, I definitely appreciate and I'm grateful for Christ Central for that. So Eugene, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. I learned a lot from you. Also, so, you had a lot of fun. So one thing before we end, um, since we're talking about Asian American Heritage Month, I actually recently read the book Crying in H Mart. And I oh, wanted to yes. mention that before um, we ended our time here. So when I picked up that book, I was actually very excited because I've heard from so many people. They were like, you are going to cry. It is going to be so moving and you are going to just love the book i actually read the book i think in like two sittings because it is a very easy read um and it's a fast read but after i ended the book i sat there and i was just did i read the same book that everybody else (laughs) seemed to have read and i felt so bad because again it was a very famous book that people were so proud of because again it touches upon our korean culture 
and heritage. I mean, the title is crying in H1. Yeah. It's so relatable. It's so, uh, but I was just very surprised that at the end of it, I kind of sat there wondering if I just missed kind of the main theme or the main note of the book. But I only bring this up to say that obviously every book or movie or um, TV show is interpreted differently by your experiences. Uh, but all this to say, I, I did really appreciate that there is a book that is so Korean focused and about our culture, about our food, about our relationships. So I do recommend it. Uh, but if people don't really want to believe in the hype of certain books, I wouldn't go in with <laughs> such expectations. High expectations. Mm -hmm. This is your true hot take. That yes, crying in yes. was I, that might be more not you know that might be more controversial than my <laughs> carbonated water. <laughs> that my was like, eh, like, but yeah, I I can see where you're coming from because it wasn't like mind blowing, but I think for me it was more just that it was like really relatable, and then there were a lot of elements of like, oh my god, like there's never been a book that like talked about like making tenjang together or right. like whatever right, so right. in that sense like the idea of it was really great mm -hmm. but i think the execution i was like yes i cried but not like yeah so i could totally understand <laughs> but thank you once again absolutely um, for everything you shared i feel like yeah i learned a lot and um i feel like i learned about you a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for having me thank you sujana i'll see you next time thank you <laughs> <laughs> How did that feel for you? Uh, we talked for an hour. I know. I mean, I, talk, I mean, I can talk. Like, I can talk for a very, very long <laughs> I mean, time. Me too. So that's not that's not difficult. But you know. <laughs>